You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Welcome back to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he doesn't have to watch Dynasty to have an attitude. It's Mr. Jeff McLarge-Huge. Hey, that's right. It's good to good to talk to you again today, Bill. How are you doing? Uh, I'm fine, mm. I guess. Uh, <laughs> uh, I noticed uh, this week I'm a little run down. I'm overworked. I'm mentally overtaxed. Mm. There's like a lot going on. And it's making me grumpy, and I don't like it. Yeah, it, I, I think it's it's maybe because it's been like a long run through the winter. Like we're coming into the you know springtime now, as the world yep. knows. We record this before the actual you actually hear it. The run from from the the turnover to 2023 to now has just it feels like it's like six months compressed into three. I too have yep. have started to hit my low battery limit for for generalized energy and and tolerance for other human beings in the same general space as me. So it's, yeah, it's real silly because like I'll go balls to the wall, you know, in, in what we call September, working way harder and way more hours than what I'm doing now. But I don't know. I think it's the mental taxing because those times I'm having fun. I'm not having fun right now. Right. I have fun once a week. I recorded the podcast with you. Well, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I take in a lot of, for lack of a less hippy-dippy expression, good vibes, man, from like the environment that I'm in. And when I feel like I've been trapped in the house for five or six months because it's cold and it's been yeah. very cold here, it wears on me. So I'm waiting. I need leaves and grass to manage and to go outside with flip-flops on and not get hypothermia in my toes. And, and then I start <laughs> to feel a lot better because I'm not so into having to be in the house all the time or in a building all the time. Last Sunday, I <laughs> I said to myself, get to the water, you know? Yep. And so I, w- I went to Subway and I got myself a sandwich because I didn't feel like cooking anything. And then I just went down. I, I could have drove like five miles and got down to the ocean itself. Right. But instead, I just went over to the river. There's like a little river bank down the street from my house. Mm-hmm. And I was going to park in front of that and just eat my sandwich. And... It just so happened to be at the time of the day or the time of the year where the rivers just completely dried up. <laughs> it was just so apropos, like, get to the water, Bill. There was no water to right. be seen or had. You get there, it's like, well, that put things into perspective, right? Like, spinal tap yep. at Elvis's grave. Yeah. Uh, too much perspective. <laughs> Me, same sort of thing. I, I have to catch myself. I find, like, at the beginning of Moby Dick, right? I find myself in the dark November of my soul and I want to go walk in the street and knock hats off people. Not a good place yep. to be. Um, so I try to spend more time at the gym, but then I find myself just scowling at people in the mirror, <laughs> which yes. is probably not good considering my gym is full of Sasquatches and steroid monsters. You're going to get caught. Yeah. Yep, yeah they're gonna gonna, and they're going to say like, Hey, tiny man, why are you looking at me as I lift six tons? It's like, cause your arms are going to fall off and I'm waiting to catch it on video. <laughs> but you know, no, like you drop the weights again. Have it, everybody knows you're lifting heavy, you know? Why don't you just pick, drop them a little harder? Yep. But, yeah, you, I find myself scowling at people, so I have to, you know, listen to happier music and make a point to, like, find funny things to watch on the Internet and read funny books and that sort of thing. And, and it sort of pushes me through. And, and certainly pulling the show together with you and, and talking helps. And my kids are pretty funny. Yep. And my girlfriend's pretty funny. Yeah. It makes it makes it a lot easier. But man, this year has been yeah. you're not wrong though. It's been a slog. Yeah, I'm just it's like I'm just waiting as we're publishing this, it's probably going to be a, a, a lot better. But I'm just waiting for the the weather to warm up a little bit, the sun to be out a little longer so I can get out on my bike, I can get out and do things. Right. I can go fly my drone around, I can go do the stuff I like doing. There's that 5 months out of the year where it's just awful. Right. I hate it. I hate it. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm at the point of the if the year is the movie The Thing with Kurt Russell. I'm at the point where he's saying, first goddamn week of winter. But it's like almost summertime. I mean, it's in the grand scheme of things, you know. The worst week of the winter is five months long. <laughs> right, exactly. Yes. Here in New England. <laughs> yes. All right. Before we get the show started, I do have my very popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Bill. Presidential first here today. There was a president who got the birthday present of a lifetime because he was elected to office of president of the United States on his birthday. Hmm. Which president was that? Uh, hmm. Well, I guess at the end of the show, I've got a one in 40 something. Six. 46 yeah. percent. One in 46 chance of getting it right. This is going to be the week beginning May the 1st, and I believe it is your turn to start. May the 1st. May the May the first May first May Day May the first twenty seventeen Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins agrees to purchase the National Wrestling Alliance or the NWA and become an entrepreneur who owns his own wrestling company. Yeah, he owns what is known as Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling. Okay. Yeah. Now Impact Wrestling changed its name. It used to be called TNA, Total Nonstop Action. No double entendre there whatsoever. Right. right. No, of course not. Yeah, they started up a while back now, probably about twenty years ago. Yep. It was originally started up by do you remember a wrestler named Jeff Jarrett? I do. Yeah, like a yeah, a cowboy yep. uh, country western singer gimmick. Yeah. Yes. Uh him and his father started that up. And it was supposed to be competition for the WWE. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was and like a feeder league, right? The equivalent of like minor league for baseball, almost? No. No, it was supposed to be direct competition. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought and you meant like, yeah. Uh, I thought you were meant like prepping wrestlers to, to make the switch over. But nope. uh, No, the WWE's farm league is called NXT. Okay. Oh, all right. So, yeah. Too many acronyms, so, man. Uh, in- <laughs> Yeah, so Impact, which is uh, much easier to remember because it doesn't have three letters. Right. Yeah, Impact was meant to be, you know, direct competition. Their their ring was interesting. It had six sides rather than four. Yeah, I remember when that started. I remember it was on like USA Network or the Nashville. So there was like the Country Channel. There was a, it was one of those sub bike or something. Yeah, yeah, it was on some weird thing. Yeah, and uh, they managed to get a few big names over there over the years. Kurt Angle was over there for a long time. Hulk Hogan showed up for a bit, and of course, he ruined everything. Right. So was Sting, some of the Hardys. I liked Kurt Angle. He was he was a cute. Oh, I hate that. I hate it so much. <laughs> he was obtuse. He was obtuse. Um, you know, they've had a lot of big names over the years, but they're just a a wrestling alliance or whatever that's just never really got that ball rolling. Right. Right now, you know, WWE is still the biggest name in the game. Right. And AEW is a, you know, a big name as well. Impact, I don't even know if they have a television contract. They might. I don't know. I've never really followed them. Right. So Billy Corgan owns them, which I, like, I never thought I'd be saying that sentence out loud. You know, (laughs) I've been watching wrestling my entire life. But yeah, Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins owns them and... I guess despite all his rage, he is still just a, you know, a steel cage match or something. Do they ever like work in Smashing Pumpkins lyrics like, Now entering the ring, the tag team of Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, <laughs> you know? And no, no, I don't even know if he's like even like on screen. Like sometimes like Vince McMahon would always go, he'd be like an on-screen character and... Nick Khan from AEW shows right. up every once in a while. I don't know if Billy Corgan shows up. I said I know little to nothing about Impact, uh, other than Billy Corgan owns it. Well, that's, that's cool, man. If it's an interest, you might as well. If you have the money to do it, you might as well do it. Yeah, right. And if you're a big ass wrestling fan and you get the money to buy your own league, right. Do it. Yeah, go ahead. Right. That's yeah, some awesome. Pe- that's people buy like racehorses, and the racehorses never win. But they're like, I don't care. I just I like to be at the track. Same thing. Yep. Right. All right. Moving on to the second. May the 2nd, 1979, The Who performed their first concert without Keith Moon, who had recently passed away. On drums, he was replaced by uh, Kenny Jones of The Faces. Yep. And probably for the first time in the history of The Who, the audience was like, this song's in time. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God, it's a whole different song. Yeah, I know a lot of people that 
you know, frowned upon what they call 80s who. They, they only did two albums with Kenny Jones. Right. Face Dances. And I just put that together. He's from The Faces. The name of the album is Face Dances. Ah. Huh. And then it's hard. Uh, and then The Who broke up. Uh, but I, I read Pete Townsend's autobiography, and he was mm-hmm. talking about what an absolute pleasure it was to work with Kenny Jones because Kenny Jones was a, a timekeeper. Yeah, Not just time a drummer, keeper. a timekeeper. Yeah, he was a drummer's drummer. Yeah. He was the anchor that, that made the music go forward. I remember interviews with uh, Kenny Jones where he said, it's so weird to be on stage with them. In the studio, it's different because you know we're all kind of doing our thing and we're learning from one another. But on stage, like Pete turns and he looks at me as he plays something and I just stare at him like, what do you want me to do? Because you know, that's something that Keith would like hit the snare or he'd like do a crazy fill or something. And I just like, I'm holding my sticks like the next song is... Uh, it's pinball <laughs> wizard, right? You know, so yep. I mean, it took a while to learn to play with them live. Yeah, that's another thing that Pete Townsend had said about working with Kenny Jones as opposed to working with Keith Moon. He said Keith Moon would follow us, and that's not the way it's supposed to work. The band is supposed to follow the drummer, right? So playing with Kenny Jones was like a nice breath of fresh air. In Pete Townsend, you know, he understands that. The audience didn't react to Kenny Jones uh, as well as he wanted them to. But at the same time, he explained that it was much better for him and everybody just because they were actually working with somebody that played drums, not just hit them. Well, it definitely impacted the records, too. Like, if you think of songs like Don't Let Go the Coat or Athena, Mm -hmm. Eminence Front, like, they absolutely benefit from having a drummer who stays in time and doesn't improvise a ton. Yeah. It's that backbone that holds those songs together. I don't know that they could have recorded those if, if Moonway had still been drumming for them. Yeah, I, I like those two albums fine. I think Face Dances actually has some of their... It's hard to say some of their best work because they have such a you know huge body of work that's excellent. Right. But there's some absolute bangers on Face Dances. And I go back and listen to that album fairly often. Yeah, I like that record a lot. And I, and I really like It's Hard, too. All right, let's move on to the third. All right. May 3rd, 1654, Bill. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneur Richard Thurlow opens his bridge over the Newbury River in Rowley, Massachusetts. The bridge that he built himself and decided to charge yep. people for bringing animals back and forth across the bridge. If you were a person, you got it passed for free. But if you had animals with you, you had to pay per animal. Huh. So this is effectively the very first toll bridge. The very first toll bridge. I wonder if this guy was like a crank. He just didn't like people bringing their animals over there. Oh, no, you can't bring your animals. Either that or he had a fetish for like, I wonder how many sheep that guy can get into his jacket. (laughs) Over there walking a flamingo across the bridge. (laughs) I'll be 25 cents, yeah, fella. (laughs) Right, yeah, I wonder wonder what the toll was like in 1654. It's not like they had dollars. And it was, you yeah, know, I was about to say, I don't know what the fiscal policy was right, over it's, here. It's, 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 like colon, it's like colonial. I don't even know that they had money in colonial times in 1654. It would have been like, so you're bringing that bucket of clams across the bridge, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be taking some of those clams. And that's like, you know, what's the way you do? Then you get a bear with like a trench coat and a fedora trying to sneak over. Hey, you, get back over here. <laughs> right, right. Four pigs dressed as a table. You know, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Like, but uh, again, you know, he sets the model, and and if, if you've driven around in Massachusetts enough, you know that there are plenty of toll plazas. Yep. On a lot of the turnpikes in Mass, and there used to be toll bridges, but I think they're gone now. I think the last of those closed up in like the 1980s, for like going back and Where? forth to the Cape and stuff. I remember my dad oh. used to rail. He would say terrible swears, and <laughs> raise his fist in traffic when we were on our way to like to the Cape Cod Canal or something. Because of well, because as somebody that, that travels fairly often, everything's all automated now. There are yeah. I mean, there's plenty of tolls, but it's not like you have to stop and throw money at somebody anymore. I was driving back from Concord before they put in the Easy Pass Plaza here in New Hampshire, yep. and like I pull up to the thing and I drop the the stuff and I said, "Oh, thank you" to the guy. He goes, "Sold off like you got a pair," and I was like, "What? Not okay." When I took it off, he's <laughs> <laughs> the guy who's standing out here breathing in carbon monoxide all day. I mean, I thought about, like, that must be, like, a super easy job, and they get paid, you know, decent money to do that, but that also must just be mentally taxing. Oh, my God. Because you always have to be in the moment, 
but it's also so super boring. So, like, you can't read a book to pass the time, but you can't not read a book to pass the time. Well, it, you end up playing professional grade, like, like the license plate game. You know, <laughs> that's all you do. Like, oh, look, it's Texas. That's one. Oh, look at Louisiana. Oop. Oh, New Hampshire, New Hampshire, New Hampshire, New Hampshire, New Hampshire. Massachusetts. Yeah, uh, those are only worth half a point. You know. Yeah, I'd make it. I'd make it a week. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, I I would make it less than a week. You'd be like, how come the guy in the toll booth has no clothes on and he's screaming? Ah, that's Jeff. He's new. <laughs> All right, moving on to the fourth. May the fourth be with you, Star Wars people. <laughs> uh, but on May the fourth, two thousand and eight, your friend and mine, Seth MacFarlane, reaches an agreement worth one hundred million dollars. That's a lot of with money. With Fox, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of jingle. A lot of jingle. So he reaches this agreement with Fox to keep Family Guy and American Dad on television for another four years, making Seth MacFarlane the world's highest paid television writer. You know, and for all the uh, guff, how's that? How about that? How about that for a word? For folks Jesus. out there, how about like my great grandfather? I know for all the guff that Family Guy gets for being, you know, not super creative or whatever. That show has had great legs. It, I think that show's been funny since it started, and it's still funny. Oh yeah, in rerun now or when it's. I don't even know if they make new ones anymore because I don't watch TV anymore. But I never, I, I never they do. I never found myself and not think about laughing. It, that, at that thing's show. been around for over twenty years. Yeah. Yep. You know, it, it it was on for like a season and a half, and it got canceled. Yep. And then you they know, sold, famously, they sold four jillion DVDs of it. Four hundred yeah. million jillion of them. And Fox yep. realized, like, oh, you know, we can make some money with this show. The Gene Simmons yeah, we screwed the pitch element of yeah. <laughs> right. Gene Simmons <laughs> was like, probably re- reached out to him, was like, you know, if you bring this show back and put makeup on, you'll get more people coming to their concerts. But yeah, they ended up bringing it back, and it's been running ever since. And uh, I think there was another cancellation somewhere in the middle. And it's not without its controversies. It's had, it's had its controversies. My favorite of the Seth MacFarlane stuff american dad that still is around that still has legs it's not on fox anymore though right uh fox decided to cancel it and tbs is like we'll take it we'll take it yep i really enjoyed the orville when that was on uh i watched the first two seasons of that show his far better version of star trek the next generation than the star trek franchise has managed to put out in the last few, few years yep really well put together show and it shows how good of a writer he is and how good of a director he is and everything. Yeah, he's he's very funny. He's a very funny guy. Every time he's on like uh talk shows, I try to watch it. He was right. a guest host on Saturday Night Live uh, last year sometime or two years ago and oh, he was very funny on that too. Oh, I'll have to go look for that. I haven't seen that. All right. What do we got for the fifth? May fifth, nineteen sixty one, Alan Shepard, who comes from the town I live in, becomes the first American in space. Aboard the mission Freedom 7. He's he's shot up in a rocket and he orbits the Earth and comes back down and is still alive. I also have over here on my notes that he is <laughs> allegedly the creator of the phrase A-OK. Uh, that is generally attributed to our friend Alan Shepard. However, later on, your friends over at NASA, their public uh, relations officer said, yeah, that's not actually what happened. Right. They thought he said something. They thought he said a okay, but that's not what he said. It was just yeah, just a mistranslation. I think what he said was, "I just shit my spacesuit." <laughs> I'd argue for get me out of this goddamn capsule. <laughs> but he was really far away from the radio tower. The right. signal got kind of <laughs> garbled, yeah. jarbled. Alan Shepard. Oh, I drive by his house every single day. He doesn't live there anymore because he's dead. But there's a big plaque on the house, and there's a big field next to it called Alan Shepard Field, where he had flown a homemade glider that he had built, like, in high school and stuff. There's a really, really funny quote over here on the article I have. It says, when asked what he thought about when he sat atop the rocket waiting for liftoff, keep in mind, he's the first person to do this. Right. They said, you know, what were you thinking about? And he said, the fact that every part of this ship was built by the lowest bidder. (laughs) Yep. It definitely puts things in perspective when they're lighting the fuse and you're in it. (laughs) 
All right, and now coming up on May the 6th, this doesn't happen on May the 6th every year. It just happens to happen on May the 6th this year. The first Saturday of the month of May is a very uh, happy day and a special holiday, a weird holiday that we like to celebrate over here. It is Free Comic Book Day. That's right. A day to drag, not drag, I used to drag, drag my kids into uh, the local comic book store here. They would go through and look at all the stuff that the publishing companies printed out specific for free comic book day. And I would go buy back issues of stuff that I really liked. I used to work with a cosplay group, as I've mentioned before. I used Mm -hmm. to do the Tony Stark cosplay stuff. So we used to get hired by this small regional chain of comic book stores to, you know, stand out in front of the comic stores on free comic book day and wave at the cars and try to attract customers and stuff like that. That was a lot of fun. They'd buy us pizza or whatever. Right. I just remember people showing up and being disappointed that they just couldn't go in and grab whatever comic book they wanted. It's like, yeah, that's not really what this is a promotional thing. It's trying to get you you interested in reading, not just for you to come in and grab free stuff. Yeah. And I mean, the free stuff was almost always geared towards little kids to, you know, hook hook them early. And yeah. I still have a bunch in my long boxes from those times because they remind me of taking my kids there when they were little. And right. we went we went a lot. We ended up becoming customers of our local store for a long time until my kids kind of grew out of them long before I did, obviously. Yep. Uh, but I always, I always went on Free Comic Book Day between the ages of, I think my son was five or six, and my daughter yeah. being 10 or 12. So. I'm going to pop down this year. I'm going to go down to at least one comic book store this year and just, you know, pick up one or two of the free samples and all that. What I liked about Free Comic Book Day is I used to get samples of comic books that I didn't read just to see if there was any other titles out there that I might be interested in. And then I never right. lay down like the $4 for a title I, I'm not sure if I'm going to like or not. Yeah, I ended up picking up the reprint that I think it was. I don't know if it was Boom Studios or Dynamite or IDW did because they released The Walking Dead. So their free comic book day offering was a reprint of the first issue of that comic. Which oh, was really I think fun. I grabbed that one too. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, okay. I could understand. It was like a couple years before the show started, I think. And that was my sort of introduction to the characters and world of that show. All right. And let's wrap up the week. May 7th, 1987 is the last airing of a Cheers episode with Shelley Long as one of the cast, which does not sound like a big deal. But Cheers was like the biggest sitcom on TV in 87. And Shelley yeah. Long was leaving the show so she could branch out and make the jump, as so many TV actresses do, into films in Hollywood where great fame awaited. That didn't really work out uh, so well for her. I was before, at the, you know, when we were putting the show together, we we're trying to think of what movies she did. Right. And I came up with Troop uh, Beverly Hills. Troop Beverly Hills. Was it the Burbs? Was it the Burbs with Tom Hanks? No, it was uh, Mon- the Money Pit. Money Pit. Oh, the Burbs is Carrie Fisher. Right. So, yeah, the Money Pit. That's right. And then uh, what was the one I pulled out of my ass? Was uh, Outrageous Fortune. Outrageous was, uh, Fortune, Bette yeah. yeah. Bette Miller and, and George Carlin was in that movie, too. Yeah, hard to believe that her movie career was better before Cheers with Caveman. <laughs> Cave- Caveman and uh, Night Shift with Michael Keaton. Yes. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Which is my, my favorite role of hers is in that film. Which yeah. She definitely has the, the most freedom to be a character that's interesting to watch in that movie. And a weird time for her to leave because, like you said, Cheers was insanely popular not just like around here see cheers was set in boston right so you would think that because it was set in boston of course around here people are going to be like oh yeah i know that place right and i mean the bar that cheers was based on is kind of still open i think it's like the bullfinch or whatever it's yep, over the in bullfinch Faneuil pub hall. yes it's still there yep it's over in Faneuil Hall. And the last time I was at Faneuil Hall was a few years ago. It was before the pandemic. Yeah, they still sell Cheers merchandise over there. And Cheers yep. has been off the air for, you know, 30 years. Yep. It was a, it was a really funny show. It launched the careers of Woody Harrelson. Definitely helped the career of Ted Danson, who did make the jump to films. He, his career's trajectory was a little bit better than Shelley Long's, but not by that much. It didn't uh, hurt Chrissy Alley at all. It didn't she hurt did Chrissy well Alley at all. Afterwards. Yeah, she did well for herself afterwards. Even character actors George Went and John Ratzenberger went on and did all kinds of voiceover work and a bunch of character work after Cheers as well, which I think came on the heels of that show. Well, he was in Empire Strikes Back, too. Don't forget that. 
I can't even remember where in Empire Strikes Back was, but I know he was a voice in John Ratzenberger. Yeah, he's um he's one of the Hoth rebels. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. Uh, yeah, whatever Princess Leia is in the uh, in Hoth, telling all the the pilots what they're gonna do and all that yep. stuff. Yeah, he's in that little circle. He's- oh, I mean, but like he's the voice of Mr. Potato Head in the Toy Story movies, which is a much bigger part. And who's the guy that played Norm? What's that actor's name? George Went. He was in House. He has House two. Yes, he was in House. He has one of my favorite lines in that movie. Oh, we hated her. We used to give her hell all the time. <laughs> uh, that was my grandmother. Heart yeah. of gold. Heart <laughs> of gold on that one. <laughs> all right. Moving on to the celebrity birthdays. First celebrity birthday this week, uh, May the first, eighteen sixty-seven. A man by the name of Charles K. Harris, and yes. he is a songwriter. He was known as the King of the Tearjerker, and he will go down in history, uh, the author of the first million-selling song. Oh, wow. What, what song was he the author of that sold one million copies? So here's the thing. The name of the song is called After the Ball, mm-hmm. and it came out in 1892. Now, in 1892, that's before records were that available. Is, yeah, that's before so, records are available. That's for sure. So how did he yeah, sell a million so, copies of After the Ball? So it was sold as sheet music. Uh, okay they were tracking uh, sheet music that closely at that time i find that amazing oh they were really tracking it because it went on to eventually sell five million copies it must have been hell for like the people who were into napster at that time we've got to get a photocopy (laughs) machine or uh, some sort of mimeograph invented (laughs) yeah they used to perform it at the uh the chicago world's fair in 1893 And I'm just going to insert a clip here. So you kind of recognize the tune to that if you've ever ridden on like a merry-go-round at an amusement park. That's kind of like that. That's the kind of calliope kind of music that they play. Yeah. Yeah. There's a video of, uh, of Mr. Harris singing the song before he died in 1930 on YouTube where it's super crackly, but you can hear him kind of singing along with the Calliope style music. I can't make out all the lyrics, but I think because he's the king of the tearjerkers, it ends with the triangle shirtwaist factory fire or something equally awesome to build a popular song around that makes people sad. Let's move on to the second. May 2nd, 1985. English songwriter and I want to say singer because it's what she is. She's way more known for songwriting like really angry music that sounds really not angry when you listen to it. Lily Allen. Okay. She's not really popular here in the United States, but she was super duper popular in the UK. She's married to David Harbour from Stranger Things. Oh. Oh, no, no kidding. All right. They got married by an Elvis priest in Las Vegas like two years ago. I love that part of the story. I don't really know her. What song would I know her for? You might know her from Smile or probably her biggest hit is a song called it doesn't get played here, but it's F-U, but it's spelled out properly and said properly in the UK. Uh, oh, my God. So she has a song called Smile, and she has a song called F*** You. Yes. Boy, that, that is both sides of the spectrum. There. Well, it, it sounds like it, but the song Smile is about every time I think of you feeling terrible and crying, it makes me smile. <laughs> <laughs> they're really funny songs. They're they're really funny and angry, angry songs. I love them. I am going to write this young lady's name down and start yeah. listening to some of her stuff. That and sounds fun. she sort of falls in the group of... Uh, Singers from like Duffy and it's like that weird like white girl soul style, 1960s almost Motown style, but it's English women who are doing it. And she falls into that little subgenre of pop music. She still tours, but most of the songs that she plays out now are older songs from middle 2000s. All right. Coming up on May the 3rd, 1951, the man who is pretty much the embodiment of the phrase, a face for radio. (laughs) American musician and songwriter Christopher Cross. Not to be confused with Chris Cross, who make you want to jump, jump. <laughs> Christopher Cross is probably the godfather of what we have come to know as Yacht Rock now. It's probably he gets that title for the song Sailing, which was the last song of his that was really radio popular in the beginning of the 1980s. Yep. That wasn't tied to he like got, a film soundtrack. He was 30 years old, had a enormous career uh, you know an album that like all of your moms 
all of your moms had this album. Uh, the Christopher Cross album, the one with the flamingo on it. Yep. And then the rocket ship went up called MTV, and it just put Christopher Cross out of business. Now, you know, this Yacht Rock uh, genre is not my bag of dope, not something I listen to, but somebody brought something to my attention the other day where there was like a video on YouTube where the guy was playing a Christopher Cross song, and he like isolated the guitar solo at the end. Yeah. And he's like, listen to this. Like, you'd never think of great guitar players, and Christopher Cross's name doesn't come up. Right. But apparently, yeah, Christopher Cross is an amazing guitar player. Well, I mean, they, they must have taken the whole shredding sort of Michelangelo, Batio style, you know, <laughs> gu- guitar solo out of uh, Arthur's theme for the film. You know, I'm sure there was seven <laughs> minutes of him playing an eight-neck guitar, you know. <laughs> The spider. The spider. Hitting every single note with a pick. I saw another funny meme of Chris Cro- uh, Christopher Cross one time. Yeah. Where they pointed out that at the the beginning and you know the tail end of Christopher Cross's career, he managed to look like both members of Tenacious D. He <laughs> <laughs> definitely got the reputation as being like not ready to be on television. It's not like he looked like the John Matuzak character in The Goonies or anything. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he had like a receding hairline and he looked like a guy who would be serving drinks outside of a like a golf club in Florida. But he's probably bellying up to the bar right next to Rupert Holmes. Right. Yeah. Except Rupert Holmes is like, I'm writing a TV show. I'm writing the whole show. Soup to nuts. And yeah, OK, great. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm on top of the world. Sailing just went number one. I got a career ahead of me forever. I'm going to be on and this a flamingo. MTV. Oh, yeah. What's that? <laughs> I don't know. But they told me I couldn't <laughs> go in the room. All right, next up. May 4th, 1970. Canadian-American actor Will Arnett, probably best known as the voice of Lego Batman in the Lego movie. (laughs) Uh, Also as Joe Bluth, the illusionist, Michael, of the Arrested Development, the Bluth family on Arrested Development. The funniest show ever put on television. That's where where I know him from the best, is uh, playing Job. Yep. He's got a very long list of things that he's done. It's just, it's a lot of voice acting. He was also one of the villains in my favorite stupid Will Ferrell movie, Blades of Glory. <laughs> he's he's really funny. He was great in Let's Go to Prison, which is a fantastically underrated movie with Dax Shepard that everybody should see. That movie's wicked funny, too. All right. Moving on to May the 5th, 1830. Man by the name of John Stetson. Stetson. Who? Invented yeah, cologne. He is the no. Oh, he is the creator of what we all know as the cowboy hat. Oh, yeah, the Stetson hat. That makes sense. That makes sense that yeah. it's named the Stetson hat. Up here in New England, you don't see him very often. Mm-hmm. I remember working at Spooky World, and this guy came in. He was like from a band, and it was like something Cessna. I don't remember. They were almost like a country band. I ended up seeing them by accident. Right. And he had a cowboy hat on, and I asked him if he thought it was Halloween, which I thought was a funny joke. And he did it. He did not, know. Uh, you know, el- elsewhere in the country, cowboy hats can still be popular. You know, obviously. Yeah, in the, the part of the countries the so- where the cowboys live. Yeah. In the <laughs> south and stuff like that. I was just in St. Louis for a haunted house convention. Right. And this guy was walking around. And he had one of those, like, beer guts, like the real big ones that start up near your collarbone. Yeah. Right? And a cowboy hat and a big cigar. Like, this thing had to have, like, an inch and a half diameter. And it was sticking straight out of his mouth. Not off to the side. Straight out. And I could not be convinced in either direction if that was, like, a haunt character Right. Or if this guy was serious. And I was too <laughs> petrified to ask. Uh, yeah. I, I tend to avoid asking strange questions of people in Stetson hats just for fear that they're like <laughs> state policemen, almost undercover. <laughs> All right. Moving on to the sixth. May 6th, 1961, American actor George Clooney who has been in all kinds of films and TV. Probably best known for Return of the Killer Tomatoes. <laughs> Probably best known for a guest spot on The Facts of Life. <laughs> A very special episode. I think he had a, like, it was like a recurring role. I don't think it was just one episode. No, I think he, he, was came on, back yeah, he, was, he was on a bit. He was like... For a season, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Arguably the worst Batman on film. Yeah. Nah, uh, you, won't, you won't argue with me about that. Right. 
But out of all the Batman movies, that's the only one I couldn't finish. That was a tough one. Again, it's another example of like, let's take every spice in the spice cabinet and put it in our eggs. And and that's what you get. You get Batman. I literally watched that in a car on a road trip, like trying to starve away boredom. And it was was more interesting to look out the window Mm -hmm. than it was to watch that movie. Yes, it was was not good. Not good at all. Uh, He was good in, in as like a... The second banana character in The Men Who Stare at Goats. Have you ever seen that movie? I didn't see that, but he was great in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yeah, he was as uh, effectively Odysseus. I can't remember what his name was in that film. Yeah, that's, that's that was ba- a fun movie. Yeah, it was a fun movie. That movie's based on the Odyssey. Yes. He's pretty bulletproof, that guy. Like, he's done so much good stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, a, a handsome man for forever so that whatever he does do huge goose eggs like the that you know batman, batman. and robin movie yeah, yeah he, he just bounces right back from it yep he, he made a, a couple of like direct to netflix films recently that he also produced that weren't bad where he's like the last man on earth trying to guide a returning spaceship from another earth that people are going to try to go to because the environment is all messed up and i can't remember the name of it but the human good. race is about to get a lot more handsome. That's all I right, know. Right. Well, he didn't. He didn't make it. But it was a good. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Um, but yeah, it was a. It was a good flick. And uh, he's always. Again, he's always interesting to watch. And wrapping up the birthdays, May the seventh, nineteen twenty-two, American actor Darren McGavin. Darren McGavin, probably best known. Uh, probably best known. Uh, Ralphie's I think father. he was on Murphy Brown, right? Yeah, he was He was on Murphy Brown. He's probably also best known as one of the guys on like the Poseidon Adventure 2. <laughs> He's actually going to be absolutely best known as being the old man. Ralphie's in dad. the Christmas classic, A Christmas Story. Yes. As far as like actors go, he's been a constant in my life of weird cinema and TV since I was a very mm-hmm. little kid. So he used to be this, the main character of the show Kolchak. The Night Stalker, which my mom, when she was in her 20s, absolutely loved and was terrified to watch alone. So she used to let me watch it with her when I was like four or five years old. Because a four-year-old kid's going to protect her from uh, the monsters. Yes, of of the the monsters of that show. And like ever since then, I've always known who he is. So whenever I've seen him, I'm like, oh, it's Darren McGavin. That's Kolchak, the Night Stalker. Always really resonated with that character. I loved it when he almost played the same character in an episode of the X-Files, too. I think he plays Mulder's father, who's like a weird conspiracy theory guy, former reporter, that they interview at uh, one point. During the 70s, disaster movies were really, really big and popular. Yes. And there was a series of them called Airport. There was Airport, Airport 77, and then Concord, Airport 79. Uh, I've never seen them, but I've wanted to. And he's in Airport 77. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to get around to watching at least one of the airport movies eventually. I think Airport 77 is the one where the plane sinks. It sinks into the ocean. In the water? Yeah. <laughs> Look, man, they had to come up with... People aren't just going to go watch it like, oh, the plane can't land? That was airport. You know, because the landing gear won't work. It's almost an episode of the Thunderbirds at that point. Hey, uh, you know what I made last week? I, I, I homemade uh, was buffalo wings. You like buffalo wings, Jeff? Sure. I don't eat meat, but... The only thing... You know, I like the idea yeah. of buffalo wings. The only thing that happens whenever uh, uh, people eat buffalo wings is they tend to get flaming lips. Uh-huh. <laughs> Guess what, Jeff? The worst song ever. All right, young Jeff, what do we have? I just alluded. I well, just alluded well, to. What well, do we have in the canon for the worst song ever this week? Well, first of all, I would like to give you props for the quality segue that that was. Because as you were talking Thanks. about Buffalo Wings, I was like, what? are you? Where Did I like have a stroke or something? Weren't we just talking about <laughs> Darren McGavin? And, and there we were in the Flaming Lips. Today we well, are we talking... Well, segue somehow. Oh, yes. Well, that's true. Today we are talking about the song... You try segueing out of an airport into the Flaming Lips. <laughs> I know. You can't. Today we are talking about the song She Don't Use Jelly by long-standing, admittedly, pseudo-new psychedelic, I guess is the phrase, rock and roll band, alternative band, etc., The Flaming Lips. Thinks she goes, she'll make you breakfast, she'll make you toast, 
But she don't use butter And she don't use cheese She don't use jelly So uh, I'm in this thing called Music League with uh, yeah. some of my friends where you pick a category and everybody suggests songs and everybody secretly votes on their songs and all that. And you can leave little comments. One of the categories was um, songs you hate. Mm-hmm. And I volunteered this song, mm. right? Because I, I hate this song. And the comment I left was, I usually don't like absolutes, but if you like this song, your taste is in your asshole. <laughs> This song uh, yep. is from that little era of the 90s where record companies were, it's weird, let's make a single out of it. These guys kind of look like Nirvana, let's give them a record contract. That's exactly what, what brought these right. guys around. But this song is just like abysmal. And I think what also used to irritate me about this song was the music video because it was like an alternative bingo card. Okay, the guy's got... Long hair, but it's not really long. It's just kind of long. And it looks like he hasn't combed it in a little while. And right. it's dyed a weird color. And he's wearing a T-shirt that's like two sizes big for him. But it looks like he's owned it for his entire life. Right. Uh, and the lyrics it, it to the just, song are all kind of like rhyming gibberish. It's like, you know, smells like teen spirit, mosquito, libido. There's a lot of that in the yeah. song, you know. Yeah. Like I said, it was like the alternative bingo card. Yeah. It's just awful. And it's sung awful you know like that and it's a, there's a lyric about a guy blowing his nose in a magazine and right. it's just it's not a good song at all i just had this opinion at the time and i kind of stand by it that people just like like make believe that they liked it you know i have a history with this not so much this song but with this band now as okay. we've said on the show bill remembers i was a dj back in college Yes. 1991, 92. And there was a record that came up before the album that this one was on. I can't remember the name of it, but I remember playing singles off of it. And there were singles on the College Music Journal as well. And they were super fuzzy and lyrically confusing and both underproduced and overproduced at the same time. Like the fuzz was like amplified. And there's like (laughs) layers upon layers of noise on top of the fuzz to make it extra hard to really listen to. And I didn't like it then. And. I remember seeing like, ah, you know, F these guys. Was it telepathic surgery? Was that the name yeah, of it? Yeah, that, that must be what it was. And uh-huh. that, that would have come out in like, I think I was playing songs from like 1990 or 91 that okay. off that record. Anyway, and then She Don't Use Jelly is like 94. I heard that on the radio a bunch because that was the year I was back from college. And it just sort of fell into the whole like schmear of songs that sounded like this. At the time, and I was like, yeah, the Flaming Labs, screw those guys. I hate this band. They suck. Right. And I didn't think about them again. Unless until OK Go, who I love, put out a record called The Color of Blue of the Sky. And it sounded really different than all of their other records. It sounded like it was overproduced and underproduced at the same time. And it was submerged in reverb. Like the band was playing inside of an empty YMCA pool. <laughs> like that other song that we covered a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And I was like, what? This song, this record stinks. What is this? And it's the same producer, a guy named Brian Fridman, who produced The Flaming Lips. And I said, oh, you know what? Brian Fridman, screw that guy. Flaming Lips suck. This record sucks. Blah. And didn't think about it again. And then I was talking to somebody at a place I worked. And we were talking about music. He was a music nerd. And he's like, oh, Flaming Lips. And he kind of pointed at me like I just did that nobody can see here. And I said, can't stand him. And then I just told the whole story that I just told all of you. And he goes, really? You don't even like Yoshimi versus the Pink Robots? I said, I never gave it a listen. Screw that back band. He goes, I, you know what? Give it a shot. Run it. I'll, I'll burn you a CD or something. I was like, I'll find it. And I came home and I, I think I bought the vinyl. That was just as I was getting a turntable set up again. And I put it on and I couldn't take it off. I listened to that record like 10 times in a row. I absolutely loved every nanosecond of it. And really? It, and I, I went back and I was like, I don't understand why I like this. Like, this is fantastic. I went, I, I picked up the previous record, the Soft Bulletin. Love that record. In the time since then, I've bought the most recent record, American Head. I love that record. And I've gone back and I listened to She Don't Use Jelly today. And you know what? That song sucks. I don't like it. 
I was just about to jump through the microphone. I was waiting for you to like. No, I don't like it. It sounds. No, you don't. It's like don't. It's like I again. I love Radiohead, but like I I hate Creep, and this song is like the Flaming Lips is Creep. Okay, my experience with the Flaming Lips was this: she don't use jelly, which, you know, here we are. I think it was like ninety three, ninety four, and you know, I got some friends like, oh, I like that song. It's like, no, you don't. You don't like that song. That <laughs> song is impossible to like. There's, right. There's, there's no redeeming qualities there. And then, oh, some years later, I was watching. It was like the Who were, there was like some sort of anniversary show for the Who. So they had yep. like a bunch of bands up there that were all doing, you know, different versions of their song. And I think Eddie Vedder did Love Rain Over Me and stuff. Yep. And whatever yeah, yeah. it was, all the performances were great. And then they had the Flaming Lips on. And I'm like, what the f*** are these guys doing on here? Those are the Jelly Guys, right? Right. And they did like a medley of Tommy. Mm-hmm. And I love Tommy. Tommy's like one of my favorite, not just Who albums, one of right. my favorite things. And they did a medley of Tommy. And then the singer, Wayne Coyne, he like gets inside one of these big plastic balls. And then he like gets like bounced around inside the audience because he was a pinball for like the pinball wizard medley kind of mm-hmm. deal. And they played absolutely the worst renditions of The Who that I've ever heard. And I was like double mad. It's like, I already don't like you guys. Now you're taking a big piss on one of my favorite things. And so I like absolutely hated that. So now they got two strikes against them. If you want a third strike, definitely do not go to YouTube and type in the flaming lips, dark side of the moon, because you will, that will be strike number three for you. And I think, it, I think they do a fine job with that, but that's me. I already have strike number three because I had gotten the video game rock band mm-hmm. and the, there was a flaming lips song on there that you actually just brought up there. Yoshimi versus the mm-hmm. pink, pink robots. robots. Yep. And I'm like, what is wrong with these guys? The Flaming Lips are a band. They're outsider music, as we like to make mention of certain mm. things over here on the show. And like I do every week, I put on a mixed playlist or sometimes a full album or whatever of the band and the song or whatever I'm going to listen to, whatever I'm going to do the segment on this week. I am almost sad to report that I don't hate the flaming lips like I used to. <laughs> I just hate everything that I heard up to today. Well, uh, it's funny. So again, I carried around this hatred in my heart for the flaming mm-hmm. lips, like I did for World Party, although different reasons. But it's a different story. Different yeah. story, right? Do you remember doing the ten albums thing on Facebook a couple of years? But everybody was doing like, oh, ten yes. albums are the most important albums in my life, right? Yes. And I, I did mine. I typed mine all up. And what ultimately became the most important album in my life was the Flaming Lips, Yoshimi Battles, the Pink Robots. And I, it sort of took me by surprise even. Yeah, yeah my, my, you should see where my jaw is right now. Yes, it's, it's probably on the floor. So I've listened to that record a thousand times by now. Maybe more than mm-hmm. that even. And I still can't find anything about it that I don't like. I can't find a flaw. I just it just resonates the right way with me, and it's that's colored the way that I view the catalog before this record, even to the point where transmissions from the something satellite, whatever the, that record is, it's an okay record. I can hear that like the nascent stuff that would become the Flaming Lips that I really like in those mm. weird songs off that record, and I hear it too in the most recent record, which is a lot more story oriented, American Head, compared to what's in Yoshimi. It's just it's weird. It just made. It, everything like sort of started to click for me on that record. And now I like a lot more of them than I ever would have thought humanly possible. So I owe it to a guy named Barry that I worked with. I don't know if Barry's a listener, but thanks, Barry. He should be. So <laughs> uh, some a couple of things I wanted to bring up about uh, The Flaming Lips, because mm-hmm. I was watching a documentary. They were talking about one of the albums that they, that they put out. Mm-hmm. And the singer and principal songwriter was trying to describe the album. Honestly, I think somebody that had never heard The Flaming Lips or that album before could describe it better than he did. Mm-hmm. He just had no no verbiage or words right. to describe. Like he was so vague about, well, it's got these sounds and then we like we made like other sounds on top of it. Right. And then the, then this lyrics and like the lyrics, like some people will like get to them, and some people that won't mean anything to them. It's like you're literally describing everything I own, yeah, not just the flame of the lips, sir. <laughs> 
The other thing, too, is on the wiki page, it describes them as psychedelia. And I can totally understand that because one thing I can say positive about the Flaming Lips, I'm not a fan. You know, I just like them. I just hate them less now. Mm -hmm. But one thing about them is I'm going to compare them to Pink Floyd. Hear me out. Okay. Haters. I'm going to compare them to Pink Floyd in the way that it is impossible to get a good sense of what the Flaming Lips are about by listening to one song on yes, the radio. I agree. Yeah, you really need to listen to a lot, probably three or four different albums to get a good sense of the Flaming Lips. Just like hearing one song by Pink Floyd is not going to give you a, a, a any idea of what they're like. That is absolutely correct. This came up in my music league too. Uh, somebody had put up another Brick in the Wall part two as a, a song that they hated. And I was like, you know, it's really sad that the band's most known song is a horrible representation of what they sound like. Right. And the same thing can be said about She Don't Use Jelly for the Flaming Lips. Yes. And that's it, a, it, and it, creep for Radiohead for that And moment. creep for Radiohead. The thing with She Don't Use Jelly is it got a lot of airplay, but it's otherwise forgettable. None of the other songs on this album charted. None of them were singles. They had no singles on the, the remaining, like, seven years of records that they came after this one right right and it was they're not a single oriented band they're not right. a single oriented band like i said when when i sat down and and listened to yashimi versus the pink robots I, again i was it took my breath away to that good a record and I, what i do is if i wanted to sit down and try and extol the virtues of listening to this band i would say like do you know anybody who passed away from cancer and if they say yes or no that'll color the way that you view the record because a lot of the storytelling is about wayne coin's father's battle with and then ultimately death from cancer that was going on as he was writing and recording this record strikes a strikes a nerve well i hate to see what he was going through when he wrote she don't use jelly yes it's definitely a lot of chafe chafing (laughs) (laughs) all right so before we wrap up the show i do have the very popular and always well-received trivia question hey jeff hey oh man i thought you were gonna forget all about this since we were talking about no no no, i never forget all right so what president, what United States president was, uh, luckily, he got a birthday president and a half that year. He was elected to the office of, office of president of the United States in 1920. There's your big hint. Which president got elected on his birthday? Uh, 1920, Calvin Coolidge. No, he was the president before Calvin Coolidge, Warren G. Harding. Oh, who man. In office, and Calvin Coolidge was his vice president. Oh, I was close. Succeeded him. Well, hey, we're close. I was pretty close. That's not even worth half a point, though. Nope. He had a lot of firsts, too. He was the first president to visit Canada when he was in office. He was the first president to learn about his victory over the radio. Oh. And he was also the first president elected after women gained the right to vote. Well, he was probably so. listening to the radio to hear the uh, the upbeat rendition of After the Ball by Charles K. Harris. And then he heard, she don't use jelly, he said, what is this crap? And he said, <laughs> it was right after the thunderstruck. Oh, <laughs> All right, that's going to wrap up the show for this week. We will see you back here in seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff. Goodnight, Jeff. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. A special shout-out to James Costa for our theme music. Thank you for listening to Twibbly, or this week was way better than last year. You can find us or message us over on Facebook or Instagram on the hot new social media app that I just made up called Spackler. That's grouped with two O's and two P's by looking for Twibbly. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And also, don't sell all your stuff and climb to the top of a mountain waiting for the end of the world. I mean... The numbers add up and all, but we'd never tell you to do that.